This episode is brought to you by Updater, the app that gets residents move in ready faster. Did you know that residents who are happy at their move-in experience are 59% more likely to renew their lease? Move-ins matter. So get them right with Updater. Visit go.updater.com forward slash Mike to learn more and receive a special gift when you book a demo. Welcome to another episode of Collective Conversation. I'm your host, Mike Brewer, and I'm joined today by Jason Kay, author of Journey to a Rainforest Team Culture, a leadership story about fostering employee satisfaction and engagement. Uh, Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Mike. I'm excited to be here. I, uh, I'm, I'm excited to have you here. I, uh, I know we were talking just a little bit before hitting the record button here, and uh, you've written a book about property management on the site level. And I think a lot of people have talked about writing books about property management, but you did it and it's thrilling. We're not going to give away all the punchlines, but it is a thrilling book. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, it. It has been a labor of love for maybe the past three or four years. And, uh, you know, they say, if you're going to write, write what you know first. And I know property management. I've been in property management since like 2005. I was on the PMC side. Um, for the first bulk of it, and I've been on the vendor side for the past almost five years. So, yeah, it's been my life for my whole career. So, write what you know, and that's what I know. Yeah, so I'm interested in that respect. Write what you know. Did you find that this story sort of just flowed out without, I mean, obviously effort, but it was just kind of a natural flow of thought? Um, it, it did. There, you know, I, I pulled from a, not, a lot of things that either actually happened to me or actually happened to leaders that I knew uh, that obviously the names and some situations were changed or tweaked to protect the innocent or guilty and whatever case you want to look at. Um, but it, it did flow naturally. Now, what was great is the publisher, um, Conscious Capitalism Press, and maybe we can talk about Conscious Capitalism in, in a sec, but um, the, the publisher came to me on, on an initial draft. And you know, as a, as a, I mean, I've done some writing before, but never on this scale. And he said, Hey, you're telling me a lot about the office dysfunction. I want to experience the office dysfunction as a reader. I need to jump in and understand what the world is. So as a reader, you really get me hooked on what's going to be Eliza's struggle. How is she going to get out of this? Right. And so then I went back and I took what was like three pages and I blew them out to 20 pages. And that's where like the first chapter is all of those dysfunctions that, that she experiences within the team. And that's when it started to flow. And I was like, given permission to show the underbelly of this team culture, um, that's when it started to kind of flow more naturally. I, I love that. I will tell you, as having read the book and listened to the book uh, now, uh, you did a great job of... <laughs> I. I started my career on site. And so as I was reading the book, I, we also kind of talked about this pre-recording. It's like, ooh, I, I might have been that person or, ooh, I worked with some people like that. And it, it, was, uh, it was very enlightening and resonated deeply as a property management professional. That's, I'm glad. I, you know, as I said to you before the, before the recording, I, I wanted to write something that was authentic. Um, and not just a property management, right? I think these leadership principles go beyond multifamily to all aspects of leadership, especially frontline leaders, uh, leaders who are managing those people who are engaging with customers and clients. Um, and so authenticity was huge for me. And uh, so that means a lot that you, you really resonated with that. Yeah, I, a funny story, Mike, uh, there's been a couple of people 
who I've talked to and all of them ha who have listened to the book said that it was a bit of a struggle for them to get through the first chapter with all the dysfunction, not because they didn't like it. It was too real. It was like, it was PTSD in a way for them. And so I was like, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. You, you did a masterful job of storytelling and, and really, and to your point, I, I think it res, it probably resonates broadly, but for property manager management professionals specifically, it yeah, I could totally see that merit in that remark. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, I I am b before we sort of dive into the book a little bit, um, you you have an underlying framework that mm -hmm. you developed to architect this story around. Kind of walk us through the origin story of that that framework um, where you use the the rainforest. Um, I'll let you unpack that, sure. but I'm interested. Yeah, so there's there's two parts of it. One was the my own personal realization that employee satisfaction and employee engagement are two very different things. And oftentimes, as a leader, we tend to mix and match those without really understanding what we're saying, right? If we're going out to um, a happy hour, we're like, oh, this is an engagement event. Well, it's an event to help you engage with your peers, but it doesn't drive your engagement at work. It actually leads towards you being a little happier with work, knowing your, mm -hmm. knowing your peers, knowing your leader, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there was uh, a former leader of mine in my past many, many moons ago was running a team that I was on and they were checking all the boxes of what a great leader is. They had one-on-ones, they had goal settings. We did activities like happy hours or went out to Dave and Buster's or things like that. Everything seemed to be going well, but there was someone on the team who was a bit toxic. And this person was rude to our internal customers, was rude to people on the team, was kind of a loose cannon, and, and other members of the team were kind of skittish or afraid to engage with them. And so we went to the leader and we said, hey, we're having these challenges with this person. And we were pretty much told straight up, look, they produce, they produce fast, they produce high quality. I don't, we can't replace something like that. I don't know what to tell you. We're just going to have to deal with it. And it, that's when I went... Mm -hmm. Oh, and then I started to think back about the one-on-ones and the team meetings and the events that we did together. And everyone had the same feeling that there was no depth or roots to it. It just felt like a house sitting on sand. Like it was just kind of like creaky and you weren't sure when it was going to fall down because there wasn't an element of safety there, right? And so in the book, we talk about things like the tone, a safe and supportive tone in your office is fundamental. It's the foundation. And without that, you can't build anything else. And so that's when I started to say, okay, what's the difference between me being happy at work? What goes into me being happy at work? And then how does that lead to my engagement? Meaning going above and beyond, being innovative, investing in myself so that I invest in the company, right? Um, and then, so I was trying to look for a framework to figure this out, and I was reading an article about uh, our environment and all the things that are going on with it, right? There's a lot of discrepancy about the environment changing and whatnot, and I came across this graph that's in the book, and it shows all of Earth's terrestrial ecosystems, and on the, um, on the horizontal axis, 
uh, it had rainfall, and on the other axis it had temp. No, on the horizontal it had temperature, and on the other one it had rainfall. And what was fascinating was there are no ecosystems that have high amounts of rainfall but low temperatures. So in order to have rainfall, you must first start to increase temperature, right? But there are ecosystems that have high levels of temperature and no rain, like a desert. And I started to, something clicked in my brain and I was like, well, this is satisfaction and engagement because you can't have engagement without satisfaction, but you can have satisfaction without engagement. You can have people who show up, they're happy to be there, they love the people they work with, they're happy with what they get paid, they've got tools and resources, all the good stuff, but they're not going to be innovative. They're not going to invest. They don't care about growing with the company or growing the company itself. And so that's when it started to click. And of course, everybody loves a good acronym. So that's where the acronyms of temp and rain came in and breaking down those pillars of each one. So those were the two kind of things that led to that forming. It, uh, I love a good acronym to your point yep. because, it, you know, when you're, I don't know if this is true for everybody, but when I, when I read a book, I always, I always write in it. And when there's a good acronym to follow, in, in other words, chapter headings that have these, it, it helps me recall the, the content a little bit more. Um, and if you read yeah. a lot, it's, you start to mix things up and, but uh, I, I love the framework uh, a lot. So, and to your oh. point about writing things in the book, Mike, you know, that's for me, two things. I wanted to make the book enjoyable and entertaining, right? I'm a storyteller. I've been a storyteller my whole life. Um, I like a lot of leadership books, but sometimes they can get a little dry in how they present their sure. material. So I wanted to do something that was entertaining and enjoyable, but also something that you could apply immediately. And that's why those call to action sections at the end were a must have for me. Like for folks like yourself who wanna write things down, like these are reflective questions. Write down, self-analyze, do some work. That's, you, you know, it's, uh, I like to think of it as doing doing the reps right or being a practitioner of, and, and to the extent that you can do that right on the heels of, when you read a chapter and you have the good calls to action at the end or the, the reflection at the end and you actually do the exercise, a lot of people just blow past that stuff. Yeah. They don't even read it or if they read it, they just read it and move on to the next chapter. But if right. you, for whatever it's worth to people out there watching, listening, doing those exercises helps you embed that, imbue that material rather in your mind. And then that imbuement turns into action at some point. Whether you're thinking about it or not, you, you sort of start to play out these lessons in, in your life and in your career. Yeah, there's um, uh, there's a woman who I've been communicating with um, who ha is working on this with herself and her team. And she one of her requirements for doing this with her team is we have to be honest. Like when we go through this call to action section, we have to be honest with ourselves. Um, and this is an opportunity for you to do that, right? The book is yours. It's private. You can write it down. You don't have to share it. Be as honest with yourself as you can. That that's exactly right. So let's do this. I I want to. I don't want to give away the punchlines or too many of the punchlines in okay. the book. But okay. for you is the or unless you want to, I I'm going to leave all of this up to you. But okay. I would love for you to sort of thumbnail sketch, walk us through the journey of Eliza in this in this story, um, and maybe some of the 
one or two of the key lessons that someone would take out of this book and be able to make application of, but let's do that in your own form and, and okay. fashion. Okay. Um, so in the book, uh, Eliza Hawkins is a fairly experienced property manager. Uh, she's been doing this for about 10 years. And it was important for me to her for her to have some um, level of experience because I thought a brand new manager, um, it would be too much of a hill to overcome potentially with a, a culture as toxic as I was planning on making it to, to show the advancements. Um, so she comes in, she's at a brand new company, just got this job, biggest asset that she's ever managed, close to 800 units. Um, and she walks in and she finds out that the staff either isn't talking or hates each other or is actively trying to sabotage other people. Um, and very quickly realizes that this is one of the hardest challenges as a leader that she's ever had to face. And so she turns to her friend and mentor who used to be her regional at her prior company. And it's just like, man, this is, this is tough. What do I do? And that's when her manager rolls out this ecosystem framework and talks about how your satisfaction and your engagement by focusing on those, you start to build your culture towards this rainforest status. And, um, you know, just a side note, Mike, with the rainforest, um, for, it got a little wordy. And so we, we edited this part out, but the rainforest itself, it hosts the largest diversity and quantity of life on earth, unlike any other ecosystem. And so really the, the message when you dig in like the deeper layers is when you have a rainforest team culture, your culture will attract and support larger numbers of people and larger numbers of diversity of people. So it's, it's not just about like, yay, we all like each other and we're all producing well. You actually become a beacon within the company or within the industry to gravitate towards that, right? And you know, you've had some amazing leaders who are like, everyone wants to go work for Tina. What, what's, what are you doing, Tina? What's your magic sauce, right? But imagine right. if you had a whole company of Tina. So that again, there's some deeper layers to the rainforest analogy when you start to really look at what it supports, how much oxygen it supports for the planet, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway. Yeah. I digress. So she's good. You have an idea. Do you want to, you want to unpack that? No, go. You okay. keep going. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so then she starts to work through these pillars individually and you know, it starts <laughs> when I was writing this, I was almost worried that it would be a little elementary, but I think things like setting a positive and supportive tone and bringing enthusiasm to the office. For me, those things are important, and no one is ever taught as a leader how to do that. It's never put into a framework. Like you kind of know you should, but no one ever tells you what's important about it, why it's going to help you in the long run build a more engaged culture. And so having some of these first steps was important, and it also kind of eases her, Eliza, into this transition. She's had good cultures before. She's, you know, kind of shot from the hip in regards to what she was doing. But this was like, oh, no, no, I need to get strategic and be intentional about how I'm going to move the needle. On this. So and then we just move through each one of those um, 
pillars within satisfaction and engagement. At the end, again, there's a call to action section that helps you jot down your own feelings, your own thoughts, your own actions that you want to take. And it challenges you in some of them, right? It asks you specifically, who on your team is promoting a positive team culture? Who is not? Why are they not? When can you talk with them, right? It's, it's very direct in the way it wants you to assess your situation. And it gives you an opportunity. So even if you've got an amazing culture already, it's going to help you take it even further to the next level. Yeah, I think to that point, it's, you know, as you... I'll speak from my own experience in going through the book. It's um, even if you have, to your point, a, a good uh, set of disciplines, systems, and routines in your organization, everything is subject to all the time ongoing, right? And to revisit what what seems, um, you, you might say, uh, simple but not easy, right? Yeah, simple yeah. concepts but not easily administered or executed to revisit them on an ongoing basis, to refresh, right? There, there were things in this book that made me think, oh, to the point, I know I shared this with you pre-recording, we're reading the book in, in our company, in our, in our book club, uh, for the precise reason of teasing some of this stuff out and, and sort of reimagining the way that we do business on an ongoing basis. And, and to your point about going back and referencing, Mike, we aren't, as leaders, we aren't given a holistic framework on what it means to build a team culture. So That's we're given right. things like, hey, go take this how to set goals class. Go take right. this how to resolve conflict class, right? We're given these siloed slivers. And what for me is the biggest assist to leaders with this book is you can fit all of those other leadership classes and slot them in the different pillars of satisfaction and engagement. So this isn't something that goes against other leadership trainings. It actually helps you understand where they fit, why they're important, how they can impact and how you can build on it. And so for me, you know, I don't know about you, so I'll speak for myself, but when <laughs> I first became a leader, I was, had a mentor who taught me how to pull some reporting, do some metrics, and navigate some tech. I didn't get anything with people, nothing. And I had to fall down a lot. And there were a lot of nights, you know, a lot of tears on my part and my employees' part as I learned how to get to be a better leader. And if this book can shortcut that, if it can save a few tears for employees, then that it's done its job. And when you do establish that great culture and you do get distracted by life and work and owners and reports, and you say, man, I don't, I told my culture is suffering right now. What's going on? Go back to the eight pillars and go, how's my tone? How's my enthusiasm? How's my motivation? How's my pay? How's my reason? Autonomy, innovation, and nurture. And which one am I ignoring? And then go focus on it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it... I was going to say, it, it, uh, this book is like a compass. It's not going to make getting through the woods any easier, you're still going to have to do the work. You're still going to have to chop with the machete and walk over the logs and all the things, but you're at least going to have a direction to go in, which I, again, for myself personally, early in my career, I was like, I don't have a direction. I just, I'll walk this way for a couple of miles and go, eh, 
I'll go this way for a couple of miles. So that's where it becomes a little clearer, not easier. Again, you've got to do the work. It's not going to fix everything for you, but at least you've got the frame. Yeah, that's, I, I think you're, you're so spot on with, I, I think back to when I first became a property manager and, and my regional handed me the keys and said, hey, I've got 75 other fires to put out. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to your point, there was, there really was no framework and, and you discover really early on that you can't do it all yourself as a leader sitting in the chair of property manager, you have to learn the art of delegation, which demands that you learn the art of grace and, you know, getting along with others and saying, I'm sorry, and saying, I appreciate you and all these things that you lay out in this book. Otherwise you go down in a ball of flames. Yeah. Mike, what you can't delegate is your team culture. You can't delegate right. that to someone else because they might not have the best interest of your team in mind. You know, if your voice as a manager is silent, the loudest voice in your company will take it over. Leasing teams can spend more than six hours every week sending welcome letters, following up, collecting documents, and yet residents still show up on move-in day unprepared. Move-in day sets the tone for the entire relationship with that resident. Getting it right matters. According to Kingsley, residents happy with their move-in experience are 59% more likely to renew their lease. Move-ins matter. Jenna Miller, the Senior Director of Marketing and Customer Experience at Bazudo, says Updater has been instrumental in helping them remove friction from the move-in process. They rely on Updater to save leasing teams valuable time and create a consistent and branded move-in experience across the entire portfolio. To see Updater in action, visit go.updater.com forward slash Mike. As a thank you to my listeners, Updater is offering a special gift when you book a demo. Move-ins matter. Get them right. So what, what piece of advice would you give to a property manager, um, obviously based on, on your book and, and the framework that you lay out? Yeah. Uh, to, okay, where should I start? What is the first thing, if I've got a, a culture that needs a little bit of work, what is the first thing you would advise a property manager to focus on? Um, well, I think it was... Um, uh... Oh, sound of music. We'll start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Um, I think yeah. with that foundation, with the, with the tone, is your office a place where people feel free to speak up, to share ideas? Um, are you someone who sets that positive and supportive tone? Are there people who threaten that tone? Because in my, again, in my experience, if there isn't that psychological safety in your office, it makes it very difficult to do any of the other things. So That's I right. would say chapter, it's chapter two in the book, but the first pillar tone, make sure it's a safe environment. I love that you use the word psychologically safe. I, but I don't want to presuppose that people listening and or viewing this right now understand what psychological safe space is. So yeah. Unpack that for us because I think it's incredibly important. Yeah. Uh, so for me, uh, a psychologically safe office is one where people feel heard. They feel that their voice uh, matters, that if they have questions or objections or ideas, that they're not silenced. Um, they feel like 
on equal footing as far as input with everyone else in the office. Um, yeah, their ability to share for me that's that's psychological safety. And yeah, I, I, and that if they ask it, there's no like punishment or repercussions down the line, right? We've had those situations where it was like, well, tell me what you think. You're like, well, I think this, and then three months later, you're like, oh my leader got mad at me and went and told everyone at corporate that this is what I thought. And that's why I'm not getting a promotion. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So it's, that's real. right. It's a hundred percent to your point. You, you provide that space, you gather this information that is uh, sacred in some cases, and you need to guard that and, and handle that with care uh, and not, not use it against people. Cause that, that, that's a good way to rip your culture right in half. Yeah. Well, and you know what, too, Mike, thinking about tone, and it's not just about the way that you talk about and treat each other in the office. How are you talking about and treating your vendors? How are you talking about and treating yes. your residents? And again, in my experience, I, I haven't been in the P, on the PMC side for almost five years, so I don't know if this has changed, but there are leaders who are very negative about their residents. And I get it. Residents can be a lot, totally understand. But if you're trying to be a more conscious leader and develop this culture, what message are you sending if you are constantly putting down or villainizing your residents? And again, I get it. I've lived that life. I've been on site. I've had the meetings. I understand. But there's also, uh, you know, you're in a leadership position for a reason. How do you digest that, process it without verbally processing it to your team and thus creating a more toxic environment or potentially a more toxic environment. That's right. What, what recommendations would you give someone to sort of mitigate that? If you, if you do uh, find out that you're the kind of person that, you know, just has this sort of negative air about you or you're speaking, how do you, what do you recommend people do to sort of I guess, hedge for that or correct it. I find someone who's trusted, who's a peer or, or a friend outside, right? Like if you're friends with, you're, you're a, a property manager and maybe you're really great friends with your leasing agent, that's great. Maybe don't gripe about work to them. Maybe gripe about it to another manager who can identify and maybe also frame it as such. Hey, I need to gripe about something to get it off of my mind. Will you listen yeah. for five minutes? Sure. And then they know in the context, right? Because we've all met people who kind of are constant complainers. And naturally, you kind of go, I don't know that I want to, like you see them at the company picnic and you're like, eh, I don't want to <laughs> hang out with you. Because it's not under the context of, hey, Mike, I, something just happened and I just need to unload for a minute. Are you cool to listen? Okay, great. Thanks. I'm better now. And you move on. I think that's great advice I, because everybody needs that pressure relief totally. valve, right? Or totally. release valve. You, you got to get that stuff off you, of you your chest. You can't and... ball up your stress. <laughs> It'll be bad for your health. You've got to get it out. But do it in a place that's not going to you know, potentially toxify your, your team culture. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. <laughs> don't don't burn the culture down. <laughs> right. Um, uh, let's. Um, I I want to, to the extent that you're comfortable doing this, I yeah. I have to imagine. Um, you know, 
what I started smiling about earlier was the the sort of deeper uh, rainforest uh, culture aspect that you carved out of the book. Could there be a part two, like a second book that sort of unpacks that at a deeper level? You know, there there could. And honestly, when I'm thinking about things like doing speaking engagements at leadership conferences or, you know, working on some sort of instructor-led training that's maybe a workshop or you know, half a day, full day, something like that, that'll definitely be a part of it because I think it gives that mm-hmm. I, it gives it a little more weight, right? Because, <laughs> and it's not just multifamily, but everyone's having a problem hiring people, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if that's the case, how, what can we focus on to make you a beacon to want to be hired at? And culture is often something that draws people in an industry where maybe it's difficult to hire in general. But if you're like, oh, well, I don't want to work for any of these people, but that one, that's the Apple, right? That's the Zappos. That's the, that's yes. the beacon of the industry that people gravitate towards. And that's that rainforest status. So many different creatures, insects, and plants can live in the rainforest more than anywhere else on earth. And so why don't you make your company that place? How can we draw the, the biggest diversity of talent to us? I, I love that. I, I've often thought, so you've heard the phrase, the war for talent yeah. in, in our industry. And I'm, I'm certainly that certainly that's probably more broadly applicable, but in, and I'm going to make this statement, but I, it doesn't really fit in today's environment, but I've always sure. thought that it's really a war of culture not a culture war and not certainly the, the implications of that statement but yeah to your point if if you create a great culture in your organization it it almost becomes this sort of default word of mouth that makes its way outside of the walls of your organization and becomes a recruitment mechanism for you without really putting a lot of work and effort into it it's just that your culture is just expanding beyond the walls of your company because it is so good and it's reinforcing itself all the time if you put it put it in place correctly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's funny that you say the the war for talent. Um, so have you heard the the parable of the wind and the sun? Uh, tell it to me again. There's okay. a good chance I have, but I don't. It oh, doesn't come to mind readily. So the 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 wind and the sun were talking one day. And they were talking, and the wind was saying that it was more powerful than the sun because it could do all these things and move all these objects. And they saw a man walking down the street with a coat on. And the wind said, I'm going to be able to take that man's coat off because I'm so powerful. And the sun said, sure, go ahead. And so the wind started to blow and blow and blow harder. And the harder the wind blew, the more the man clenched his coat to him. And finally, the wind gave up and said, well, I don't think anybody's going to be able to get that guy's coat off. And the sun said, hold on a second. Let me give it a try. And it just stopped and it just admitted its radiant heat. And slowly but surely, the man started to take (laughs) off his coat and the sun won the bet. And so I think when we use as as an industry, as a corporate industry, we use items like war on talent, like guys, what do you really do? Are you like beating people over the head caveman style and dragging them to work for your company? But to your point, if we just make a great culture, we become that sun and people naturally gravitate towards us. Uh, 
love that story. I, I, I feel like I've heard that before, but I, I think you're, you're so right. It's, it's like, what can you do with, there's a word, a four letter word that's not used enough in the work oh, no. world. Oh no. Right? What is it? <laughs> Starts with an L. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, do we need a bleep here? I, you... yeah. yeah, it's a family friendly show. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think the word love, right, in the in the right respects, uh, in the right use of the word love, when you get love in your culture that, you know, manis- manifests care and concern and empathy and compassion and all those things that are married around this this word love, you, you, you create that, that culture that people, you know, if you have if you're really good at it, it, it's the cause that people use to get out of the bed in the morning and, and run into, right? They, they can't wait to get there because it's just the place where they feel, to use your word, psychologically safe or your phrase, they feel loved, they feel cared for, they feel concerned for. And, and it's, it's funny, the default of that is what? Great business, right? Yeah. Great customer service. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big believer in the philosophy of putting your employees first. Yes. And I know a lot of folks are like, put your customers first. And I get that. And it's not like one or the other. You don't have to just focus on customers, just focus on employees. So that like, you know, binary argument of, well, if you focus on your employees, then what are you doing for your customers? You focus on them too, but you get to the results of customer satisfaction through the employees and when you treat them well and you give them an environment and two mike nobody nobody grew up dreaming of being in property management right like i wasn't playing property management with my friends evicting them out of my playhouse when i was a kid (laughs) that didn't happen and so because we all fell into this industry and right right we're we're not playing we're not astronauts or, or firefighters or some like glamorous socially glamorous position why not create the best environment possible so that people want to wake up and show up and some people use the industry to get what they need and they move on to bigger and better things why not have them have a great experience while they're here and to your point have that great word of mouth that people want to come and work at yeah i i couldn't agree more i think it's look I know it may sound cliche, but we're only here for a very short period of time, right? In the, in the broader timeline of life, we're here for a very brief moment. And, and to do the, do the opposite of creating something that is enjoyable and memorable and remarkable and f- full of love and joy, yeah. why would you want to, not want to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and to your point there, Mike, one thing that I think isn't, done enough in business in general is the idea of finding your reason, your purpose, your why, whatever yeah. you want to call it. And oftentimes companies will, will mistake that with some sort of set of like words that are supposed to represent their, but like, what's your bigger purpose outside of what you actually do, right? And, and how are you contributing to a better world or the fabric of society like what's going on outside of that and if you can't answer that that's a great opportunity because if you have a really well thought out reason for existing beyond great customer satisfaction growing in the industry all of those typical things 
So if you've got something like we strive to make people's lives better by doing X, Y, and Z, right? Like, wow, I want to be a part of that. And what's cool is I took this, um, I took this Disney leadership workshop years ago. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was fascinating about it was they, their whole thing is like make magic. They want that. That's their underlying theme. We make magic. And that goes beyond Disneyland, Disney World. It now extends to Marvel and Star Wars and all the things they have. Their underlying purpose is to make magic. And they talked about their advertising for recruitment. And it was a um, it was a, a young girl in like a princess gown getting off of one of those buses that like drive you around the property at Disney World. And it was the bus driver was like out or the shuttle driver was out on the steps. And he said, and and the line underneath it said, today, I'm not a shuttle driver. I'm this princess's coachman. Oh, come work. Right. And you go, oh, wow. And other people go, that's stupid. But guess what? The people who say that's stupid don't apply to work there. Right. So you start, they start to self-select out. And the people who do apply already align to the vision of Disney. And so are Uh, you getting people to work for you who already align to your vision? It's hard to do if you don't have a vision yet. But that's the kind of things that you can start to do to get people who go, I want to work with Brewer. He's got a great vision. His company's got a vision. I'm already bought in before I even start. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) I was too. I was too. It was one of the best. It was one of the best 500 bucks I ever spent. Wow, I, I appreciate you sharing that. I, I yeah. man, I wasn't expecting that. That's yes. fantastic. Next stop, marketing department. Yeah, <laughs> you're hired. <laughs> uh, well, I, I feel like there was a, sort of a natural segue in that uh, back to talking about conscious capitalism. I know that's yeah. the, the publisher of the book. I, I want to give you an opportunity before we sort of wrap here uh, to unpack that a little bit. It seems sure. like a natural segue to that. Yeah, absolutely. Conscious Capitalism is a group that I've been a part of for probably five, six years now. Um, I'm a part of the local Dallas chapter. They're a global organization. They've got chapters everywhere. So I think you're in Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think there's probably Conscious right. Capitalism in the Atlanta area. Um, and really, at the time, I was looking for I was looking for something more. I was looking for a purpose. Like, where can I go with like-minded people who are wanting to build great cultures and, you know, things of that nature. And the tenets of conscious capitalism are um, a higher purpose, um, conscious culture, stakeholder orientation, which I'll talk about, and conscious leadership. And stakeholder orientation is one of my favorite tenets of conscious capitalism because it, it wants you to keep in balance like an ecosystem, right? It wants you to keep in balance your employees, your shareholders, your vendors, and the environment. And it says, if you're sacrificing one of those to profit the others, you are not a conscious leader. And so how do you make decisions that don't sacrifice one to benefit the other? And that for me has kind of become like this guidepost. Like how do I not sacrifice my employees to do shareholders or not sacrifice the shareholders for employees or vendors and things like that. Right. And you know, sometimes we go for the cheapest vendor 
What about the loyalty? What about the tenure they've had? What about the personal relationships you know with them? Is it worth that small percentage that you may save year over year? I don't know. I don't know. It's something that you have to decide for yourself. But as a conscious leader, you take those things into consideration. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, to, to that point, I was having this conversation with a contractor yesterday and he said, you know, one, one, one of the, there's three words, cheap, fast, and there was another one, uh, cheap, fast, and quality. I can't remember, but cheap, to your, good. sort of the point there is if you make a trade-off in one, mm -hmm. you can only have two of those things. But if you make trade-offs, it manifests itself in the way negatively in, in the way of something else, right? Yeah. You cheat an employee, then all of a sudden your employee's cheating your customer. You you sacrifice the environment, then all of a sudden, you know, the broader masses start to suffer because of the cheating of the and it's it all matters. And I think to your point, what it what it brings to mind for me is that everything is about relationship and you've gotta you've gotta not exit the monetary piece of of a conversation it's important we all need to survive and, and make money and do things that that uh, bring value to our communities but it's a bigger broader conversation yeah and the, the money part is key and that's why it's called conscious capitalism like they don't mm -hmm. sack they don't shy away from the fact that no you have to make money you are mm -hmm. a capitalist your job is to bring in income but is there a way to do it in a way that doesn't slash and burn everything and everyone around you and if there is maybe we can make better decisions as a yeah. group, you know but again money is the key there's a great simon sinek quote and i don't know if it's him or someone else who originated it but I, I heard it from him and he said that your company's revenue is the gas that goes into the car but the purpose of a car is not to consume gas it's to get you somewhere so where are you going Right? The gas is critical. Without the gas, you can't get anywhere. But where That's are you going? Right. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That feels like an awesome end cap to this conversation. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> where are you going? And here, if you're in property management, is the framework for getting to that destination in a way that is good for everybody. Jason, this, look, I appreciate you to know it. I know I just met you. I'm just getting to know you. I, I can't endorse this book enough. We're reading it in our company. I encourage our viewers and our listeners to pick it up. Uh, what would you leave everybody with today as a, as a punchline? As a punchline? Um, it's, it's never over, right? You, you have to work. Like anything that's worth doing, you have to always work at it. Whether you want to be physically fit or healthy, mentally healthy, um, learn something new, have a great team culture. You've got to put in the work. There's no magic pill. There's no single video or book that you can read that's just going to fix it for you. You've got to put in the work. And what this book does is give you those tenants to focus on and to let you call back to. Um, so yeah, put in the work, do the work. And if it slips, just get back to it. That's all I, I love it. I appreciate Well done. Well done. I, Thanks, I love man. that. Thanks. I love oh, that. And I just I, want to say, this is a super grassroots effort, right? I'm not a CEO. I'm not some famous sports figure. So like anything, if you're listening and you like the book, share it with people, let them know, leave a review on Amazon, 
Um, this is super grassroots. Like I don't have a PR team. <laughs> it's just me. I posted a while to LinkedIn, connect with me, but that's all I got. So any help I can get from the community to drive awareness. If you like the book, great. If you don't like the book, I'd love to hear from you why you didn't like it. They'll love it. Trust me. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, listen, we're going to do everything at the Multifamily Collective to help you promote this thing. I, I, I keep saying it, but I, I was just blown away. I listened to it and I read it and now we're studying it in our company. And, and I just appreciate Sweet. the time and the investment of time that you put into it. Uh, even though you were writing about something that you love, it, it really came through in, in the narrative and it's just, it's wonderful. So we're going to do our best to help you promote it. Thanks, man. It means the world to me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, where can people find you? And then we'll sign off here. Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm always accepting connections. Uh, you can also probably find me on Instagram and, and LinkedIn uh, or, and uh, Facebook, but really focus on LinkedIn. That's where I do a lot of my postings and sharings. Um, and then you can, the book is available either on my website, which is jasonk.com, or you can find it on Amazon in paperback, in digital form for Kindle, or the audible version as well, which, and I, I hired a great uh, actor out of LA to voice it. She's fantastic. So very excited about her performance. So good. Jason, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll link all that stuff up in the show notes Sweet. and uh, appreciate you as a human, appreciate your effort here. And uh, for everybody else, we'll see you next time on Collective Conversations.